Hello and back to Rogue Opinions. We are vengeance. We are the night and we ain't easy. And we're here to talk about the Batman. Well only a couple of weeks after this came out, so relatively, you know, current for stuff we talk about. Do you really think about it? Uh and me and Carl's track records. Speaking of but you know, I'm Scott McLeod and I'm joined by the unnamed Arkham Prisoner, that's definitely not the Joker to my Riddler. He is. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, that's me. I'm definitely not the Joker. 100%. 100% no. I've never heard Carl say a joke in his life. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unbelievably for me, yeah, we're, we're current on this one. I mean, it took me a good... Three months to finally get Spider-Man No Way Home downed. But I'm there, I'm there, I'm on it with the Batman. <laughs> uh, how was how your bladder coping now after that? Epic? I mean, with Spider-Man, you were eventually able to get it, you know, for home viewing so you could pause it as and when needed to. But, you know, I did try and, you know, prep you ahead of time. Well, I tried to warn you about, how, you know, the runtime with the Batman. Well, yeah, well, Spider-Man, um, uh, no way home about two and a half hours and I watched that on home viewing and I thought well I'm going to it was the day before I went to see the Batman so I thought well I might as well train myself and see if I can get through this one without going to the loo and, and, and then I might be alright for, for the Batman and yeah I managed that and um, I had I think my last bit of drink around about six, half six, and we went to see the eight o'clock viewing of Batman. So, you know, I was well, I was well prepared. I didn't go in there with a full bladder, so uh, I got through it. And then, thanks to yours truly, I knew I didn't have to sit through the credits. So, you know, well, job was a good one. <laughs> yeah, I did actually, you know, being a friend, I did get a message from Carl right before he went, before he went and say, no more fluids for me, <laughs> which is... Which I, that's when I knew he was taking this seriously. Got two, so, got two. We are also going to talk about normal be a separate episode uh, that Carl's finally gotten that watched. So that's more of our speed watching stuff and talking about it months later. But that will be a separate episode we thought about. At least I did about doing both of these in one episode. But they're both very long films with a lot to really talk about it and delve into so uh, we've probably made it easier on ourselves by just doing them in separate episodes yeah we, we don't like to have our podcast going going too long I think you know, an hour or just over sufficient I'm not really keen on these pods that go about three or four hours or whatever they are which is why uh, it's very rare to have Carl and Sam Preston on the same show <laughs> Ah. But we'll delve into the Batman. You probably won't hear much in the way of uh, barking from uh, the unofficial third member of the team, Dexter. He's a bit uh, tuckered out. It was one of our designated nice days out uh, in Scotland. You know, the weather was actually nice, not a cloud in the sky. Me and Dexter went on a two and a half mile walk uh, where I, near where I live. So, you know, that should be him down for the rest of the evening. It'd be me down for the rest of the evening as well if I went on the two and a half hour walk. Christ. No, two, two, no, two and a half mile, not two and a half hour. Two and a half, half mile. Two and a half mile, sorry. 
I mean, I'm sure I've, there have been days like when I was doing that step challenge uh, that I did two and a half hours worth of walking, but never in one go. I can spread that <laughs> shit out. <laughs> May seem like a young man, but even then, I'm still a bit lazy. <laughs> oh. But yes, uh, I don't know how we're going to talk to this, but I think the best place maybe to start is we did make jokes about the runtime and everything, but uh, when you were watching the Batman, did you look at your overall thought as a whole as a, as a film? But also, did you think that that really warranted the runtime that it had? Um, yes and no. I mean, yeah, they packed a lot in with a lot of villains and that. Um, did it need the final 20 minutes with the with the snipers and everything, I'm not too sure. In all, in all honesty, they they could have, you know, caught the caught the riddler, and that that would have been it, I suppose. But I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it, it went. I feel like the first couple of hours went quite quickly, but the sort of the final third of the film, it, it did seem to drag a little bit, but. Um, that's not to say I didn't thoroughly enjoy the film because because I did and it's one of the bad Batman flicks. Mm-hmm. How about yeah. yourself? Yeah, I really enjoyed the film. I agree with you that I felt like it was really fluid for at least the first two thirds of the film. Uh, like in terms of the runtime and you're following along the whole the clues of the Riddler and the the mystery and everything, and then you know the details about Bruce Bruce Wayne and his family being brought into it and everything. But yeah, the Final thirty minutes or so. I think once they, and it goes without saying. By the way, spoilers. I mean, if you, uh, if you didn't think there were going to be spoilers, then you're a fool. But there are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and I think when we talk about Spider-Man No Way Home, I think that goes without saying there'll be spoilers in that as well. It's been a few months, unless unless you're Carl, then I'm sure you've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that with all due respect. <laughs> but yeah, I think like. It was even teased in the trailer, like there was a point where they would they would catch the Riddler, but like obviously, well, a lot as it's become a trope in Batman stories, and that you catch the bad guy, but really, oh, there's, there's actually something more to this than you realise, and they felt like they really felt like they they put that in because they felt like they needed to, and like, I don't like mind the premise of it, like the fact that Riddler it turned out the Riddler inspired all these these people like him, and then Batman. Like stops them and then one of them says, says like similar thing to him about being vengeance, and also that sets up Batman's character for like uh, probable sequels about not being a symbol of fear, just a symbol to inspire hope in people, and him try to change his approach to being Batman because he's still learning. So in terms of how it affected his character, uh, I think yeah, I can see why they they put that in. I did feel like though that stuff in the arena where the snipers came, as you said. It did drag out, but a bit like the bit with him fucking leading them to flares if he's fucking Moses. <laughs> yeah. I, I do agree with you, though, that being the better Batman, one of the better Batman films, I'm not going to get into whole, like, is he the best Batman? Is he, is this the best Batman movie? I don't like doing that. I mean, I still think it's too early. I think I'd like to watch it once, once or a couple more times before I make any decisions about that. But you know, I like the fact that there were elements of his of Batman's detective nature that have been hinted at in previous films. I think they, 
the most that I've ever really seen it being portrayed is like there's a little bit of it in the last film that had the Riddler with Val Kimmer where he was solving riddles, uh, but that kind of was all solved fairly quickly. And there was a little bit of it in the Nolan films, but this pretty much made his detectiveness and him being the world's greatest detective pretty much the the focus of the, almost the whole film. Yeah, and um, the Batman Forever flick, it was um, must start starting to lean more towards uh, campness as well. It was. Uh, uh, quite a lot lighter in tone than, than this film. Um, and I like the fact it was more Batman than Bruce Wayne as well. It was very rarely Bruce Wayne in this. He, you know, I think he's been Batman, I think, two years at this point, I think mm-hmm. I think he mentioned, and pretty much Batman has, become, as it's hinted on later on in the film, um, in a conversation with the Riddler, that Batman has become his true identity. Um, yeah. Bruce and Bruce Wayne is his disguise, and yeah, he is more often than not Batman in this flick, which is good to see. Yeah, I think it has been. I think it's been explored both in the Nolan films and in other Batman media, and that yeah, Bruce Wayne, the persona, the billionaire playboy thing, is kind of his disguise, so that people will not assume him as this as this hero. And even then, even though he's still fairly reclusive, like there's a points where like no one thinks of him as. No one even suspects him being Batman, even though like he's one of the few people who it may be obvious is Batman, and that oh, we never see this Bruce Wayne. But then also the last two years, there's been this Batman around. But you see hints that obviously like, people are surprised when they do see him in public, or like uh, that scene with Alfred, like all oh, the accountants from Wayne Enterprises are here. Why are they here? Because I couldn't get you to go to them. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, I wouldn't have minded a bit more screen time for Alfred, to be honest. He doesn't have a huge amount of screen time, does he? Bless him. Yeah, uh, but. I think other than maybe Jeremy Irons and uh, Superman, is this maybe the least amount of time that they've put in? They've had it, they've featured in Alfred, I think, in the past Batman, because in the past, Batman, Alfred's always been an integral part of, of helping Batman. Yeah, um, it probably is. To be to be honest, he he does. Ha- you know, we do see how he sort of helps um, Batman and and whatnot. But yeah, his, his scenes are quite sparse. And I thought, you know, he could gave a decent performance for his uh, limited screen time. I have to say. Yeah, definitely. And we'll get into some of the performances as we go along. But there was a scene with Andy Serkis that really like my heart was in my throat. Because even though at this point in the film he hadn't had that much screen time, the moment where uh, like Batman realizes that there's a note, a riddle for Bruce Wayne, that Bruce Wayne become one of the targets, obviously the Riddler, seemingly not knowing that Batman and Bruce Wayne are one and the same, uh, finding out that Alfred gets caught in some explosion, and like that moment, I'm like, don't tell me they're going to kill Alfred. I mean, it would be a bold choice, but please don't. Yeah, no, I was, I did, I did wonder that as well, but. Uh... Luckily, he survived by the skin of his teeth. And uh, I just say, I really enjoyed the sort of opening to this film as well, where um, you see like um, someone spying on the mayor, and obviously you realise it's the Riddler. I find it quite creepy that he was in the house for quite a long time before, <laughs> before anyone even realised he was there. I know, I... I do like it was an interesting choice. The uh, like the title card kind of come up with no music. It's just there, and then mm. one of the first things you hear is just this heavy breathing of the the Riddler as he's watching uh, the family. And then yeah, 
I kind of, my eyes took a second to adjust to seeing that he was actually there because like all the only light in the room is of the 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 mayor watching the TV, and then he moves away, and then he's just he's just there. And the fact that it's just so silent before, and then when he attacks, he lets out this loud scream. Like the fact that there's been no noise, and then he just suddenly so lets out this scream. And you're like, oh Jesus! It kind of takes you by surprise, much like he took the mayor by surprise. <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite brutal, and then he gets his uh, his gaffer tape out and um and yeah it's a very different riddler to what we've seen portrayed uh i think in any version uh that i've seen anyway certainly different from the even the cartoons which were quite dark from the 90s um certainly different from his the jim carrey performance and the performances from uh, the, the camp tv show in the 60s this is a uh, yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot darker. Yeah, I mean, it's very much night and day from Jim Carrey. I mean, even I can't, I can't remember the name of the actor, unfortunately, but the, the actor who played the Riddler in the like the, the Gotham TV show, I think he was very good. Then in earlier seasons, he didn't mind killing people if he had to, but even then, I don't think he went to the anywhere near the lengths of of this version of the Riddler. And I've seen people point out the influences influences of this character, and they're pointing out like some almost David Finch. Interest, like influences like the stuff from like Seven and almost like there's been some inspiration in this portrayal of the Riddler from like the Zodiac Killer, like the way he leaves like the clues for people. Mm. Yeah, is, that, really, sorry, go on. Which I was going to say, which is a very interesting uh, like, inspiration I take and definitely because like, also David Fincher is one of my favorite writers, I like the way he sets up like these kind of like thrillers and like the idea of this, most of this Batman being pretty much a whodunit, it was very interesting, like, like influences to kind of give this new darker version, as we said, of the Riddler. Yeah, I like the way they did the riddles as well. They were quite intricate. Um, they'd be like a simple riddle, and but there'd be a lot more to it, and they'd leave like these ciphers, which would lead to a, another clue as <laughs> well. So... Um, yeah, he he was very much portrayed as a a very a very intelligent character was the Riddler, and uh, yeah, I really I really enjoyed that aspect of um, watching Batman and uh, Lieutenant Gordon as he is in this mm-hmm. in this one. Uh, how they solve you know solve the riddles and put the pieces and the clues together, which uh, was really cool. And there was also like. They thought they'd solved one, but they just got it slightly wrong, didn't they? Which mm-hmm. was just enough to to throw them off when they were trying to find out who this rat was, which is an integral part of the plot. And that's the other thing yeah. I was wondering as well. Um, there's been a lot of superhero films. Uh, I'll use the original Spider-Man 3, for instance, where they've had a, a lot of... They've thrown in a lot of villains, you know. Normally, they've, they've had the superhero, maybe one villain or or perhaps two at most, and then someone chucked in three or four, and it gets, you know, they struggle for screen time and it gets bogged down. But I thought they did this really well. Everything's sort of, everything's connected, isn't it? I mean, you start off with Riddle and his riddles, and it, it's all connected to uh, Selena Kyle and the Penguin and uh, Carmen Falcone as well. It's, re- it's really cleverly done and, and worked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like even though the Riddler isn't always on screen, I think when you really, if you really tallied up his screen time, it'd be very little compared to a lot of the other characters, even like the Penguin or uh, Falcone. But 
he's always the overall arching threat. They're only going to see the other characters based on things that have happened because of the Riddler and everything, you know. It's almost like he's like the poochie of villains in that whenever the Riddler is not on screen, people should be talking about the Riddler. Yeah. And he goes and he goes to see, I think as we could have told, seen that the Rid- he goes to see people like uh, Penguin and that and finds Selena and works with her based and all serving to find the Riddler and get to the next step and try and stop him from like hurting any hurting anybody else. So yeah, compared like you said to other films that have had all these characters, uh, it really uh, it really works because it's also helping to expand this like new world that they're setting up with this version of Gotham because like they're playing into a few like TV like spin-off series with certain characters, so it's basically establishing them as basically a lot of these characters' origin story, like uh, Catwoman and Penguin's origins, almost as well as Batman's. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I also, what is this? I like the whole sort of like gothic feel of it it was you know i think tim burton would have been proud it it felt very <laughs> gothic in places and also and also um a bit film noir in places as well especially when mm. you first sort of um get the voiceover from the batman um yeah. and you know you got the rain a bit of a sort of chrome look on the on the cinematography and he's on his bike and he's talking about um, how criminals fear him, and yeah, I like the line that they think I hide in the shadows, but I am, but I am the shadows. <laughs> yeah, uh, I do like that. Uh, a lot of Batman films do seem to have that moment where Batman's revealed and like, who the hell are you? And like, he didn't do the typical "I'm Batman." Like they're saving that for later on. But he just in this version, he says, "I'm vengeance." and like and the fact that even though he's only been around for two years, the idea of like the bat signal being out is enough to put the fear of God into these criminals, and then eventually, like these this gang that's at this the start trying to mug this guy, they eventually unfortunately had the distinction of like seeing the Batman and getting their asses handed to them by him. Uh, and yeah, I think the film noir aspect of it is very much intentional with like the subject matter and also the the solving of all these riddles. And I do like that Batman does get one of them wrong, it does lead him down the wrong kind of path at one point because it it, it shows as it should, given it's only two years and that he's not perfect and uh, it shows that he doesn't have all the goes even up to the point where they've caught the Riddler because it does have that line as we heard in the trailer where Riddler says to Batman as he often does because he wants to prove his intelligence, like you're, you're not, maybe you're not as smart as I thought you were. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think it was intentional, the film noir aspect, and uh, I really enjoyed it. It works, you know, it definitely works for the for the Batman, which mm-hmm. is cool. And I, I've got a little bit of a theory, and I might be backing up the wrong tree, but that bit when he sort of um, beating on the clown gang, there's mm-hmm. the the black lad, um, and he doesn't see it with the half paint. He doesn't seem mm-hmm. to be quite as into it as the others, and he's wearing a red hoodie, so I was wondering if he was going to be like the red hood or something. <laughs> uh, right, weirdly enough, actually, I think the half paint is meant to be like, he's, this, he's not fully in the gang yet, but if he went along mm. and like took out the guy they were trying out, that would be his initiation, but he is apparently active, please him, is in the new series of DC's Titans, actually plays a version of, of Robin, uh, the Tim Drake version, which is the uh, third right. one, not the one that becomes uh, the Red Hood, had to be Jason Todd. But I did think it was weird that, I mean, good for him getting to be featured into you know DC property so close to each other. But 
I think it was weird that well, that same actor got these two roles, but you know, maybe it's just like maybe there's like most uh, comic fans you're hoping to find meaning in the smallest of details. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, you, I might, as I say, I might just be yeah fanboying and talking bollocks, <laughs> but you just never, you just never know with these things. You know, they might make a sequel and decide that that's where they're going with him. You know, like he's inspired. Uh, to do something because of you know watching watching the Batman uh, there and then I like the fact that he sort of absolutely pounds the shit out of that fog <laughs> as well before going I'm vengeance. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a bit like uh, about yeah really I think I'll get to talk later about like rumours about sequels and everything else that's still too early but I think they are very soon go start planning the, the second a sequel to this film but Robert Pattinson was asked like, if he'd be interested in like having a Robin in this world he said yeah but if we were going to have a Robin I'd I'd want him to be at least like 13 like go back to the idea of like Robin being like the kid psychic and not in his 20s like Chris O'Donnell <laughs> he didn't say the Chris O'Donnell thing but he did say about him being like 13 <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Robin would really would really fit in into this world. It, it's a tri- It is a tricky one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It depends yeah. how they wrote him and um, what they were yeah. going to be like. Yeah, I think it was kind of that you know, like cause in this film, where there's a few moments where you can see that you know he feels you know empathy, empathy for the the boy, the son of the mayor. Who gets murdered mm. at the start and like saves the boy from almost getting hit by the car during the funeral? Like the it's very similar to why Batman takes in Robin in the first place, uh, the original like, Dick Grayson one, because uh, obviously him losing his parents so young is like a, he sees a lot of parallels in how he lost his parents. Which I must say to Matt Reeves, director of this film, thank you for giving us maybe the first Batman either ever or in a long time. They didn't feel the need to show us how his parents got shot. We know it at this stage, you know, much like we don't need to see Uncle Ben die again. Like we we know how it happens. Just to show us him being Batman. Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of alluded to and mentioned, but yeah, we don't need a another fifteen minute flashback uh, of his parents getting killed, which. Um... Was <laughs> an agreement with you, which we didn't, which we didn't need for the fiftieth film or whatever. So, so that was good. Uh, another thing that's worth mentioning is he doesn't just uh, kill the mayor for the sake of killing him. He's got a purpose. As he's part of like a big corrupt circle in Gotham City, and the mayor's hiding secrets, which um, are also being concealed by um, other sort of members um of gotham city and the whole you know a lot of the police force is quite corrupt as well and you know i think yeah i think it's it's a well-known fact that they're working for the mob or or with the mob and batman's sort of uncovering you know what it is they're trying to you know they've been trying to hide um and, and what's going on which is uh, pretty cool, and I think that sort of leads him at first to the Iceberg Club, where he um, 
goes to talk to Penguin and he runs into Silly and you know, Kyle who's working there at the time. And um and we all see how that's all sort of linked together. I gotta say, what a performance by Colin Farrell. I mean, if I didn't know <laughs> he was in that film, I would never have known that he was a penguin. I mean, looks nothing like himself, does he, at all? He, he does not. No, like, uh, I do like this weird, like, it's almost like this old New Yorker like accent he's got going for him. But even though it's later, he's kind of more of an underling for Falcone at this stage. Anyway, he, uh, he still plays a good part. Uh, you know, he's willing to talk to Batman, even though he comes storming and basically beating up these guys and everything. Uh, and then obviously probably the best sequence he's involved in the best sequence in the film which I think is the chase sequence mm. as we got to see a little bit of in the trailer but I like that up until that point we'd only seen Batman on the, the motorbike because it made the eventual reveal of him like appearing out the shadows in that muscle up like Batmobile all the better and then he just goes on like how desperate the penguin becomes trying to like, shake him off as well <laughs> yeah there's a bit where he thinks he's He's lost him in an explosion. He's like, "I got you, I got you," and then yeah, he uses like um, uh, a, a truck as a ramp, doesn't he? And uh, he, he sort of seems flying over. The penguin sees him, and yeah, he's, he starts to panic. A, he starts to panic a bit there, which is uh, really funny. <laughs> and I like the fact that like he gets interrogated by by Gordon and and Batman, and he's like. Oh, so what's this now? Good cop and bad shit cop. <laughs> and then <laughs> they leave him with his hands and his feet tied. So he does at one point get to waddle off at like <laughs> yeah. a penguin. That's what I thought. I loved that bit. Yeah, he's like, you're not going to leave me here. Yeah, yeah. And he's like waddling away with his feet tied together. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's through that. After that, when they take him, that Batman realizes he got like the pronunciation, or at least Riddler seemed to like translate a bit of Spanish wrong. Which uh, whether or not that was intentional, you know, is up to you. But like the fact that he then shows on basically like, you're going down the wrong back is like this is mistranslated or again showing that Batman at the stage isn't perfect. And yeah, I also like think it's a good idea to Gordon's not the commissioner yet, but he is still high ranking and he's one of the only people in the GCPD that's willing to work with Batman. But even though even though Batman gives hints, he still doesn't even trust him because like you see the bit where they go to the crime scene. Like the POV shot, of, like all these cops kind of turning when they realize that Gordon's with the Batman, they all give him this less like, stink eye, basically. Yeah, they're um, yeah, they're not they're not keen on the Batman being there, are they? And when the commissioner walks in, he's like, "Get him out of here!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so still like working on that relationship, but it's nice that they they're working on the dynamic between Gordon and and Batman is. And Gordon's not just somebody who just turns on the seat, like knowing things get rough, he's willing to get involved, you know, as well. And we talk about uh, my performances, we've also mentioned Colin Farrell. I think Zoe Kravitz may, maybe for me, be my favourite Catwoman that we've seen so far. Um, she's certainly up there. Um, I don't know if I've, you know, I've got a thing for Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. Uh, we'll delve <laughs> I'm sure you do, you heathen. <laughs> <laughs> we won't delve too deep into that, but I always thought hers was quite a decent portrayal, quite a different portrayal as well. Because outside the Catwoman, she um, she's she's quite a meek character, but Zoe Kravitz from the off, she's quite a, you know a strong, 
independent woman who's um, sort of trying to um, sort of she's there for a reason as well, isn't she? She's, she's found out that um, Carmen Falcone's is actually her dad and um, I think she's trying to find out where some money's going so she can hijack one of, hijack one of their um, heists or something, isn't she, to get some money she thinks she's owed from him. And then her friend goes missing, so she starts trying to look into uncovering that. And while he's, um, while Batman's in the club, he notices that she seems to know stuff, so um, he, he follows... He follows her home, and uh, I'm not sure about the scene where he's watching her change her outfit. To be honest, that's <laughs> I think a bit peeping tubbish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, perhaps. Uh, I think the whole thing of way he was outside their window. I think it was meant to show that there were some similarities between him and the Riddler. You know, the way he's watching our, uh, like how the Riddler watched the the mayor earlier on. Thankfully. As he was watching a woman change, he wasn't doing the same heavy breathing as the rest of the <laughs> Otherwise, that would have taken the scene right really over the over the edge. But yeah, like because this woman that uh, Catwoman's friends with was like involved in having an affair with the mayor, and then obviously he was trying to cover that up as long along with many other things, and he, she would try to protect her. And like, in the end, she gets supposedly killed by I think Falcone. No, no, yeah, by Falcone. Yeah, and it seems like we hear like a really like heart. What really like scary like recording of it, and that just like she wants she's like starting to kill him, and I think she like kills a like corrupt cop on the way there as well. Yeah, and um, talk about Carmen Falcone. Uh, I thought it was a good performance by John Turturro as well, who's mm-hmm. normally more known for playing more sort of comedic sort of characters mm-hmm. and roles. But uh, yeah, I thought he, you know, I thought he played um, the sort of cocky and sinister mob boss really well yeah yeah he's, he's a lot more known for like he's uh but he's like community roles like in uh, uh the big lebowski where his character literally called calls himself jesus or whatever it was but yeah like, like he was kind of sinister in places where like he makes batman say that he and like thomas wayne had a deal and that maybe moroni killed him and then alfred tells him a different thing so not clearly give you a clear image of like who like was involved in killing and behind the murder of the Waynes. Maybe they'll explore it later on, but it's often been very vague in the comics as well. I think at one point it's, it's confirmed that it was just some like a mugger called Joe Chill was the name of the guy who killed his parents, but they never really talked about like the reasons behind his parents dying, whether or not it was planned or it just happened to be a wrong place, wrong time thing. So it's one of the elements about Batman that I think is best left a bit vague, but. I didn't think it was an interesting choice to reveal that Martha's maiden name was Arkham. Yeah. <laughs> Bit of a... Uh, an interesting way to go. They saw like the, the the Waynes and the Arkhams were like the two sort of rich powerhouse families of of Gotham and they sort of pooled their resources uh, somewhat. But mm. uh, some of happened to Martha, didn't, didn't they? They were trying to that they were trying to cover up and some reporter was threatening to expose it. So out of desperation, um, Thomas Wayne went to calm uh, Falcone to um, try to try and shut this um, reporter up and Falcone just had him killed. 
Yeah, because like there were issues like Martha's mother like uh, killed her husband, uh, and like Martha had her, had her own that history, like like her own like mental episodes that she didn't want like made be made public. And while Thomas Wayne was running for mayor, uh, it was like he was being seemingly like being threatened by this the reporter. So like, and there are two versions of the story that are told to Batman. It always helps keep it vague. Either uh, Fal- either Falcone like killed him. Like not either Falcone killed the reporter with permission from the from Thomas Wayne, but the reporter worked for Maroney, so according to Falcone, Maroney may have organised it. Or if you believe Alfred, uh, Thomas Wayne didn't like how far Falcone ended up going with it. He thought he would just threaten him, so maybe Falcone killed them. So again, like you said, it's all these avenues you could either choose to explore in later films, or maybe keep it vague and let you make up your own mind. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, but it's you know it, it's pretty interesting. I think it's safe to say that Falcone killed Thomas Wayne, but um, obviously, why people to think it was uh, Maroney? Yeah, um, and yeah, and he turns out to be the uh, the rat they're looking for all along as well. He he ratted a load of people out so he could take control of um, all the sort of criminal. Uh, the sort of criminal underworld, basically, and he had, he seems to have managed to get everyone under his thumb as he as he goes along, like one uh, criminal sort of does Batman. Um, you know, Falcone's the real mayor. Everybody knows that he's been running this town for like the last twenty years or something, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Like, he's even played that the mayor that was like running for re-election during the film before he gets killed off. Well, like, even he was a. Uh, like in his pocket because like Maroni and his people went down. That's who Falcone kind of ran on basically take out one of his rivals. But also, while it seemed like, like his trade had taken a hit, secretly he's controlling people and the police, the politicians, everything. So even when it looks like he's down, he's still in control. And it, it seems like that mayor kind of built his whole campaign originally around like the Maroni case. So basically, his whole campaign and him being men of first place was based on a lie, which is probably why the Riddler chose him to be his like first victim. And then uh something about this film, like there are some like funny lines in it, but it's not like a marvelous like kind of humor or not forced, but some lines, especially from Batman, are very much like not del- meant to be delivered as jokes, but they just seem funny just how deadpan he is, like when they find out that the mayor's thumb's missing and then they find it attached to a drive. So it's literally a thumb drive. <laughs> yeah, I just thought the um, Lieutenant Gordon's quite sick and bugs. Oh, this guy's something else. He's sick. <laughs> <laughs> and then Batman just looks up and goes, thumb drive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, an, that's another, you know, um, a thing that led to by the Riddler of how intricate his uh, sort of um, riddles are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I say, it's really cleverly done. I also like, uh, it's a cat woman as well, I made her like a proper cat burglar. I know she did a bit of burglar yeah. in the uh, Christopher Nolan one, but she even had like a proper, you know, safe breaking kit and a, an everything. And then she cracks the safe open, which, which I really liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also like that Batman, and because she works at uh, Penguins kind of club, he immediately doesn't trust her. And he kind of has to learn to like, to work with her, like a point where he kind of he's he just, he's not afraid to use her as a pawn. Where he puts those like contact lenses on her, whilst she goes in to kind of uh, find out clues about what's going on. And 
basically because she doesn't stay with that uh, uh, that guy Colson uh, in the club. I think that basically mm, the, the, the day, the day yeah, I yeah, think yeah. he is, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I almost said mayor, but I thought that's not right. No, we'd already talked about the mayor, but uh, yeah, I think the fact that they didn't stick with him, he kind of basically they kind of like sent him into the path of the Riddler, who's like sitting there waiting in the back of the car for him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so, like, hmm. yeah, the sequence also when Golson comes into the, the funeral for the mayor with the, the bombs strapped to him and Batman's trying to help him with like, the riddles, that's a very tense uh, sequence in. Like, he's in so deep that he he's not even wanting to reveal the truth about the rat and everything. He's even willing to die because of it. Yeah, he's like, well, if I tell you that, I'm a dead man anyway, so <laughs> what will happen to me will be far worse. And um, sort of to off screen, we sort of this say like the commissioner's got gone missing, and we see a bit, a little bit like what they did for Dark Knight and the and the Joker with these little sort of like YouTube videos. He has a video on the internet, and he's he's got like a thing strapped to him with, with rats that are about to gnaw through him, which is pretty cringe. <laughs> yeah, like. Like you said, they were influences from other like thriller, like crime films. I think the the film The Bone Collector, which is based on a, I can't remember who it was by, but the film with Denzel in it. There was a thing where a killer like left a victim with like give an open window, or, like a limb missing, and like some sewer in the blood eventually led like rats to him or something like that. So, like maybe there's a bit of that influence in there, like the you know, the rats basically gnawing their way through the commissioner, and basically again the whole thing is sitting around a rat and. The whole translation of the El Rata Alada, basically a rat with wings. And then they go into the Riddler's apartment, they find a bat, which is often referred to as a bat, a, a rat with wings. And what do they find wrapped around its leg? Like more of a, another clue from the Riddler. Yeah. And um, he, he also, I think they think still pigeon at first, don't they? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, um, as we said before about a car, the did the the Batmobile is fucking awesome, wasn't it? Got, <laughs> gotta be sad. Yeah, I'm sure we'll see it. Like, get some upgrades, or maybe they'll change it out in the later like films with Robert Pattinson in it. But for this film, for like how gritty it's meant to be, uh, I think it really works. It it's kind of more believable that someone like Bruce Wayne and the whoever his knowledge and that is. Uh, he could realistically help build this by himself secretly, but it, it makes sense why he does stuff like the the motorbike as well. But again, also showing why he's not perfect. He has this weird like flight suit thing, like almost this parachute thing. But even then, he still gets caught under the bridge and falls. It has a really hard landing, which I don't know if it was intentionally meant to be funny because we're showing him again not being perfect. But my brother and I were in the summer watching it, and I think we laughed a bit harder than I think we were meant to, because <laughs> he he's in the middle of a chase, and then just suddenly he just falls, and, and actually gets caught under the bridge, it's like, ow. It also sounds like Dexter will not be denied his cameo, uh, <laughs> Scott. <laughs> like, oh, you, are you in there? Are you doing that podcast? Are you talking about me? <laughs> Go away, Dexter. <laughs> it needed a it needs a bat dog, that's what he's saying. <laughs> uh, confirmed for the sequel, Dexter the Bat Hound. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that looked quite a nasty fall actually when he uh, when his landing went wrong from the mm-hmm. from the what 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 did you call it again? That sort of 
flying oh, squirrel yeah. suit thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's the thing I've seen in like army films before, like mm. they use uh, as kind of a parachute as they help someone kind of glide in. So again, taking someone from almost like real life to show that you know how you could realistically have something like this. So he's still again uh, perfecting it because uh, it doesn't quite go the way he would have would have hoped. And <laughs> you mentioned also the the videos that the Riddler puts on the Eros when he's live streaming, like um, like I think the bit with Colson. Or there's another one later on where he's kind of live streaming, like torturing somebody, and he's got comments going all along the side, like he's on like fucking Facebook Live or whatever. <laughs> yeah. and he's got comments there of people supporting him. Just <laughs> <laughs> go to show anybody can get a following with fucking social media these days, even a mad bastard like the Riddler. Hundred <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent. <laughs> but I know I took the fist kind of out, out of the mask that the Riddler wears when we saw like the first look of it, like very much the gimp looking mask. But on the other hand, I, I do think that the fact that it's very late into the film where you actually see his face for the first time, I think he might either be in the coffee shop or even when Batman goes to see him in, in Arkham, which it says like Ar- Arkham State Hospital, not Arkham Asylum. But the fact that it takes so long to actually see his face again. Oh, yeah, it's the idea that he's this like looming threat even when he's not on screen. Yeah, and I also like the fact that um, he, he wears his glasses over his mask as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great touch. <laughs> uh, what do you think of the the one the theory here? Because like he does, there's a bit where he teases that you know he knows that it's Bruce Wayne and after that he kind of acts like. You know, he's the one that we didn't get because he thinks he and Batman are in it all along. Really, he wanted Batman to find these clues because it would help further expose the corruption in Gotham. And then he kind of has almost this breakdown where he realises that he and Batman aren't working together like he thought. But there are some people who think that maybe that was a misdirection. Maybe he does know that it's Bruce Wayne, but just doesn't care about exposing him. I don't know what you think. No, I think the misdirection was to make us think that he knew um, Bruce Wayne was Batman. And the way he kept saying Bruce Wayne, but then he completely changed his tactics. But, you know, he's the one that got away. We got everybody else. And, yeah, he's he's got this um, sort of delusion that him and Batman are somehow partners and all hmm. this, which I think is quite cool, actually. It adds a sort of extra layer. I mean... Um, they always say the best villains of um, sort of like a righteous motivation, or in their mind it is. And he, he thinks he's um, unearthing, or you know, he's unearthing all this corruption, I suppose, which he is. But he's going about it the wrong way because he's murdering people left, right, and centre. And mm-hmm. I think one of his final riddles is something about bringing someone out into the light. And um, as Batman and that apprehend. Um, Carmen Falcone and bring him out the club where he's sort of been holed up for so long. He's waiting just across the street with a sniper rifle and mm-hmm. he shoots him. Everyone thinks it's the penguin. I thought it was actually the penguin because he was <laughs> shouting at him and it looked like he was going for a gun. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and he sort of explains in the um, in the asylum that he, I. I, I I couldn't do that. I don't. I'm, my strength's in the minor. I don't have the <laughs> physical strength to to go out and um, you know bring you know, people like Carmen Falcone out into the light. But that's where you come in. And, yeah, uh, I think <laughs> the Batman's quite pissed off 
that he thinks that they're they're a team. He's not keen on that idea, is he? <laughs> yeah. Uh he thinks he's the brains, Batman's like the bra and everything mm. there. He's like the clue where you bring the rat into the light, you'll find where I am. And then also when everyone thinks it's thing when he realized that Grandman was standing under his big light lamp, bright lamp post, and then he looks up and sees in the window. So obviously he was brought into the light and then we see that he's been right across the street. The Riddler's kind of home base was right across the street from the Iceberg Lounge. So when Batman's been going in and out of that club looking to find the Riddler, the Riddler's just basically been overseeing and watching Batman this whole time. And we never even knew. That's how probably how the Riddler was. It knew that Colston was there and was able to hide in his car for as long as he did as well. Yeah, the, the 100%. And there's also, we sort of see... Um... One of these guys that Batman takes out when he first enters the club, we, we see him show up uh, on duty at the police station later on as well. And he's mm-hmm. like, the Commissioner goes in that, uh, yeah, that's one of the the people I took out. He's, he, but, you know, he's working for the for the mob. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so he, he, they sort of want to bring Batman in, don't they? And he, mm-hmm. he's the uh, Commissioner, well, Lieutenant Gordon lets him get away. Which is quite yeah. another good scene, and then we sort of once they once they capture the riddle, I like the little touch that he leaves a question mark in his in his coffee. <laughs> That's quite cool. Um, Batman realizes there's more going on, so he goes back goes back to search his hideout, and he you know, he unearths a plot that he's um, got vans um, mm. placed. Uh, what if, what if they blow up their uh, bust these dams and whatever and start to flood the city. Uh, and that's when things start going a bit sort of drawn out and perhaps a bit... Mm-hmm. I mean, they could have even left... They could have even sort of left it there almost. But then we we have to go on to um, the newly elected mayor and these Riddler followers trying to... to to snipe her and other people, and then we get a scene that's a little bit like when, but uh, from the Dark Knight, when he's mm-hmm. taking out all the SWAT team members and that to get to the Joker, he sort of starts taking them out and then hang, you know, hanging them down on his sort of um, back cables and or, or or whatever it is until a couple almost get the better of him, and we sort of see um, Catwine come uh, come to his aid. Yeah, I think the way that he leaves them dangling like he sneaks up on them is very much like a a, a trouble like the Arkham games, which I, I like. Mm. Uh, I'm not saying that the scene with the mayor and everything the followers didn't need to be in the film. I just think there's a there was an easier way of wrapping up in a more condensed way because uh, yeah, like he had these bombs around the seawall. I think something I didn't notice the time I've seen other people is there the fact that it rains a lot in the early parts of the film, so the seawall sea levels are rising so. As soon as the sea the the seawall goes, that's how Gotham's easily able to the flood so quickly. But I said this to my brother when we were watching, like two two and a half hours into a three-hour film, you know for a fact people are going to be desperate for a piss at this point. You put in a scene, <laughs> a lot of running water, <laughs> Matt Reeves, <laughs> you sick son of a bitch. It's done it on purpose, damn it. I, I at that point I was I was ready to kick off in the cinema at that point. I would have as well if I wasn't holding in a piss at the time. <laughs> but going back to like the Riddler and everything, yeah, like 
I do like the fact that, as I said, that he thinks he, he and Batman are in it all along and how like how he reacts to... But I like the fact that he is also kept alive. They don't kill him off. They keep him around for potential appearance in other films. And also feeling like scorned that not only has his plan not worked, but Batman is against him. So that'll help motivate him later on when he comes against the Batman. But also the fact that uh, we find out more about him, that he was an orphan, but he's talking about Bruce Wayne, like, yeah, like you don't have no idea what it's like to really be an orphan. Like, I bet that money helped him. Because uh, I think he and a bunch of other orphans were promised help through a fund that Thomas Wayne was setting up shortly, a few days before he died. And I'll say that a lot of the people that he kills basically use that fund to like be uh, benefit their own like criminal dealings. So uh, that's kind of the running connecting theme, but amongst all the people that he takes out, uh, and then he realizes that Batman was all running theme about this using the use of the song Ave Maria. So when Batman's trying to figure out like what what have you done, like what else have you got planned, it, the, the joke the riddle doesn't reveal anything. Doesn't even give him a riddle to try and solve. He just starts singing Ave Maria as the Batman's progressively angrily banging on the glass. And then he has to go back to the apartment to figure it out. And then we find out that the tool that he used to kill the cops basically told him that one of the cops tells him that basically the tool that he used to kill the mayor was a carpet tool. So Batman then uses that to go up under the carpet under the floorboards. And that's where the final clue is. Yeah, this uh, his father is father in law, as you say, with the. For carpets, and it's like a carpet tucker or something. He he said it was, which was quite quite cool. That the, even the tool he was using was uh, intricate to um, his his riddles and his plans, which mm. uh, was quite a nice touch. And mm. um, yeah, um, sort of right, sort of right at the end where which really just before we're just talking to another cellmate, and he's sort of saying, "Stole your thunder and." <laughs> But you know, everybody likes a comeback. And although he sort of um filmed in shadow, uh you can definitely see he's got a bit of sort of joker like makeup going on there. I think I thought it looked kind of almost like he had almost some uh, almost he's ledger scars as well around his face that looked mm. like on the because he almost he was filmed side on as well and through a small gap as well and he talked about uh like people, one day you're on top, the next day you're just a clown. And then he gives him a riddle. He yeah. says, like, the less of them you have, the more one is worth. And then the riddler laughs and says, a friend. So even then, Matt Reeves and implied that this is even the, fi- the final final version of the Joker yet. That's which probably why we don't see him. He's not even officially the Joker yet. So it doesn't, this doesn't automatically mean he'll be the villain of the sequel. So like, if they're doing like a trilogy, there's a, there's a chance that we won't even see this version of the to be Joker until like the third one. No, no, you just never know, do you? And he sort of kept Penguin in place as well, and sort of set him up to to take over the mobs with uh, uh, Falcone out of the way. So that you know, it could be some sort of interesting character development going on there as well. Uh, the unnamed uh, who, and later the credits is referred to as unnamed Arkham prisoner, but. And the and the, the cast list was a reason he was basically credited some random Gotham police officer to try and hide the fact what his real role is. It's Barry Keegan, I think Keegan or whatever. He, I, don't, I think I say he pronounced it. Basically, him who played, uh, he was in the Eternals. He was the one that did the mind control. That's who this was. Oh right. 
I think I'd heard that he was in the film, and then you kind of hear me. There's a there's a faint hint of him trying to be. I played Druig in the Eternals. Uh, there was a wee a hint of him trying to hide the Irish accent, but it was kind of coming through, which I hope he works on because uh, a, a hint of Irish in the Joker is not something I thought I'd need. <laughs> <laughs> well, top of the morning to you, Batman. I know I went straight <laughs> to a stereotype, but you know I wanted to en- emphasize my points. <laughs> so you did. <laughs> but uh, I don't know what you think about this, you know, idea of him potentially being the Joker. Because you know, even though he's one of the better Eternals, I still I'm not sold on him fully as an actor. And you know, but although having said that, fair to say I'm getting featured in an MCU property and now potentially in a major DC one as well. Yeah, um, I don't know. I'm all for it. I quite like that little cameo, but he does. He's sort of um, cloaked enough that if they wanted to recast him, they probably could without too much drama. Um, mm-hmm. It's happened before. I think the very first Thanos wasn't portrayed yeah. in the, by um, oh, what, what was what's his name now? Uh, Josh Brolin, yeah. Yeah, that. yeah. That wasn't Josh Brolin in the first at all. Um, and the see, you know, the credit scene that we see Thanos. So you know, I know he's caked in makeup, but, you know, it's it's easily, you know, these these villains and that, they can be recast. Yeah, I think it was a random, like, stuntman that mm. they had to do it because I don't think they, they knew who they wanted to play Thanos yet because I don't know how far ahead they had the plan for what Thanos was going to how important Thanos is going to be in the MCU. Like going further, they just wanted to get the first Avengers out of the way before they teased like people for later on. So uh, fair enough in that regard. But looking ahead to no, actually, but yeah, looking overall at this film, uh, to talk about Robert Pattinson again for a second because I've seen a lot of people crediting his portrayal of Batman. Some people saying I don't think he was a good Bruce Wayne, but I think. I don't know if you can really make that argument because the whole point of it was he didn't want to be Bruce Wayne. Like, in, even in the scenes that he is uh, there, I think he does, I think he does okay because like, he's kind of socially awkward. He doesn't want to be around like, the public. He'd rather just get on with his work as Batman. And I think he'll learn more about how to you know, live this double life, which I'm looking forward to see how Robert Pattinson really does it. Because like, literally, seemingly, as soon as like, the final Twilight was in theatres, he was like, right, trying to show people that I can actually act. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean it's it's a confusing mind-bending film, but he's. I thought it was really good in Tenant, and after I saw him in that, I thought, yeah, I think he can uh, nail this Batman char- character. And yeah, when he's hardly Bruce Wayne in the film, I think it's a bit unfair to say he's a bad Bruce Wayne because <laughs> yeah. yeah, even when he's out of costume, a lot of the time he's he's still doing stuff in the Batcave, so. He, for me, he's still technically being, you know, being Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as you said, uh, I do agree with what you said. He, yeah, I think there's even a line in the film that he's, you know, I don't care about all of that. Mm-hmm. When Alfred's trying to tell him, you know, about, you know, seeing people and getting out a bit more and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, uh, it reminded me of what how Alfred was with Bruce Wayne in, like, in The Dark Knight Rises, because he was in, he became a recluse since the end of The Dark Knight, and then he tried to get him back, like, a bit with Catwoman. He tried to set me up with a dual thief, 
at this point, I'd say you were the chimpanzee if it got you back to the world. <laughs> 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 so, it was kind of, I kind of had to say to that when he was talking about the Akirans, like, I couldn't get you to go to them, so they're coming here. But even then, we don't even see that scene with the Akirans. They just see him and Alfred talking about the clue that he left, because, again, he doesn't want to be Bruce Wayne. And I made some jokes before about him looking at that emo when he was as Bruce Wayne, but I think he'll kind of change his look and try to be, like, more the socially and changes like appearance to kind of sit like constantly being in the public eye as he goes forward because like I said he'll try to do his whole double life and we'll get to see properly what how Rob Pattinson plays both Batman and Bruce Wayne. Yeah, uh, hopefully it will because that'd be quite interesting to see if he's forced to be a bit, uh, yeah, be Bruce Wayne a, a little bit more. And they also sort of play with you a little bit of that scene where. Um, Alfred's um, looking at that clue that's been left for Bruce mm-hmm. Wayne. Um, Batman's going to get hold of him, and the phone's ringing. And you think um, they're both happening at the same time, but they're not. Mm-hmm. He's um, um, Alfred's already opened and opened the letter and been blown up, and it's um, the maid that answers the phone. Yeah. Says, but it has something terrible already has happened. So you know he tried tried to warn him, but it was too late. Yeah, like it's already happened like an hour ago. Like, I love how they really, really edited very well to make you think like, yeah, it's happening at the same time, but uh, he doesn't realise that it's already happened. And it's kind of a dick almost to Alfred at points. Like he, he doesn't have any cufflinks to wear at the funeral, so Alfred lets him borrow his, and it's got the Wayne family symbol in it. And he jokes, Are you, Does this make you a Wayne now, Alfred? And he goes, It's he's, he's a gift from your father. And Batman kind of feels bad for it. And then there's a scene in the within the hospital together where you can really do you really do see how much they both like care for each other. So yeah, as much as uh, I would have liked to see more of them, but hopefully Andy Serkis can be a bigger part of the uh, you know the other later Batman films. Hmm. Uh, you know, the most three-hour film, and they they could only give him like about ten minutes screen time. If that. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, again, I don't know what the film, as long as it was, I don't know if we should be advocating for more time no. to be added to it. When you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's be careful where we're, where we're going. We don't want to get Matt ideas for the, 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 the runtime of the sequels. It's getting to almost WrestleMania lengths with the runtime of this film. <laughs> yeah, you, have to, it's a, you have to watch it as a two-night event. <laughs> <laughs> the most stupendous Batman you've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Oh, I'm thinking that we should send these ideas to Matt Reeves now, <laughs> just to see what would happen. Uh, <laughs> but I really like this, this like this version of Batman he's portrayed, and like, yeah, it's almost as if, like, you know, compared to this, this film when the other ones were pants and compared to Twilight, it's almost as if when you don't, you know, s- s- trap him in a role of a character that's meant to be very emotionless and quite bland, and you give him a character that's say more, a bit more complex. He can actually, you know, give you an actual better performance as opposed to how he was in Twilight. Yeah, definitely. Although is um, is it Kristen Swan or something? Kristen uh, uh, Stewart, yeah. Kristen Stewart. I think I'm getting a. I think I'm getting part of uh, her name and her character for Twilight mixed up there. <laughs> but uh, she's uh, she's uh, she's not really impressed me in many films she's been in. I have to say. Yeah, I think unfortunately for her, her she reached her limit very early, whereas he's still showing that he's got more. He doing. He's even like showed enthusiasm of doing more 
like playing the Batman for as long as basically he'll be allowed to, uh, which is good to see because there's interviews you can find of him towards the end of like his run as the character on Twilight, where even he's just basically like, I am pretty much done with this. Like I don't want to do these anymore. Like he was getting sick of like the the hardcore like Twilight fans and. Well, it's almost like how Daniel Craig seemed to get with every interview as his Bond films went on. He clearly didn't want to keep doing them, but they just kept throwing the money at him. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was a good role to, you know, to put, um, you know, to get his career really going. Um, <laughs> Twilight, and I imagine he he made his money. He made his money from that those films, but I don't think he was ever that fussed on the source material from what. From you know, from what I've seen and heard from him, and I also like the fact uh, from interviews I've seen from Colin Farrell that I fought hard, I fought hard for a cigar, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't give me one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I mean, he was saying that uh, at first the makeup took like four hours, but over the course of production, they managed to get it down to only taking about two hours. And uh, he even said, like, I'm only in a few scenes, so like the fact that it took that long, he probably. In total, probably spent more time in and out of makeup than he did actually filming stuff for this film. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, they do a tremendous job because you can't recognise them. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I really like this. This very Batman as we were talking about. I really think Robert Pattinson did a good job. He's. I like. I think it's very interesting the fact that it took him ten years to come back to a character that from a major franchise with any major source material, and I think we know why. So. He carved his own wee like niche as an actor, and then he comes back to this role. And I look forward to seeing more of what he does. But they apparently they've already got some like uh, not only have they got sequels planned, but they've got spin-off like TV series planned for like HBO Max. Uh, I thought this was going to be one series, but apparently it's two separate ones. Where we're going to one focused on like Jim Gordon as the lead one about the GCPD within the world of the Batman, uh, and I think it's maybe based on like the Gotham Central uh, comic books. And then there's going to be a one with Colin Farrell's Penguins lead almost the fact that it's like charting his like rise in power now that Falcone's dead. He's basically going to take over his like criminal empire. All right. They could be uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Jim Gordon one just sounded a little bit like the Gotham series that we've already had to be, <laughs> to be honest. But <laughs> yeah, I, th- I really do think you could have like combined these two because I'm pretty sure there would be some crossovers they're both set in the same version of Gotham but I think these I think the purpose of these maybe could be to like bridge the gap between this and whenever the next like Robert Pattinson led movie happens maybe it'll lead to some uh, some groundwork for whatever the next movie is about yeah it just got, it kind of just worries me that DC has seen what Disney Plus are doing with Marvel and Star Wars and they think like with Trilogy Justice League will have some of that, and uh, let's just hope they make a better fist of it than they have of some of the other things they've done to try and sort of keep up with Marvel. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, from what I've heard, like, it's gonna, this is going to be this whole universe with Matt Reeves and everything involved in it is going to be kept separate from whatever they're doing with like the, your Black Adams, your Flashes, your Aquaman kind of things. And instead of Batman and Superman, that world, they're going to focus on Batgirl and Supergirl, which. I think it's fair enough. You've done a lot, a lot of the time in that world. You've done Batman, Superman, kind of to death. Like I'm fine not seeing another Superman. I'm fine. I'm fine with Supergirl getting more of a focus. And also, I'm I'm happy with this version of Robert Pattinson Batman kind of being kept grounded for a while and not have to interact with like superpowers right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, um, he doesn't need to be gallivanting with uh, Superman or <laughs> or anybody anytime soon. Mm-hmm. That, that's for sure. So, Scott, um, how, what would you rate this film then? Uh, um, before I go, I was going to say, like, I hope it's the spin-offs in that. Uh, I think it's weird that I'll say they've made these two ones, but it seems like they're almost setting up a, a solo thing for Cat when either a film or a TV show with Zoe Kravitz, but they've made no announcements of it. But really, out of any possible things to be spun off from this, I think I want to see more from her because yeah, she was one of the stronger elements of the, the film. Yeah, we might not have spoken about spoken about uh, a massive amount, but yeah, I thought I thought uh, her performance and character was really good, and um, it's quite a good, quite a strong scene where Batman and I have to try and stop her from uh, killing Falcone in cold blood. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was quite that was quite good. She plays an integral part of the. Of the plot, and yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing her uh, in her, her own series as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I guess it, for me personally, I think she's my favourite like, live action, at least Catwoman that we've seen so far. Like, if you enjoy your performances more, there's not much I can say other than I really like this, but just the, the dynamic between her and, and Batman in the film, I think, is really good. It felt more like it. it's usually portrayed in like, the comics, and uh, uh, I also want to say that. Like I said, they're already making plans for this, the sequel to this film, also because Gotham's in a rebuilding phase right now, which I'm sure will be explored in the, the spin-offs and in the sequel. But Matt Reeves has talked about potential like villains for the sequel. And he's talking about like keep trying to keep the, the threat of Batman grounded. He said the the challenges of trying to take certain characters that aren't grounded and trying to make them grounded. He, he really enjoys one character he mentioned in particular, trying to do a grounded version of the sequel, potentially Mr. Freeze, which I think is interesting because... Uh, you think of characters that need a, a revamp from their last live action portrayal, he's one of them. I mean, he has got a really good story, though, with the whole, you know, um, wife situation and, and everything. So, uh, judging by what they did this film, I, I think they could probably do a, a really sort of good job, you know, a really good job of um, a Mr. Freeze character. And also, I think they could do quite good with the Scarecrow as well. Mm. And it would probably be quite similar to Nolan's, but um, that would be another character that would fit really well in that world, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, Scarecrow's one of my favourite like, DC like villains, and I'd like to see them trying to do their own portrayal of him that's not too similar to the Nolan one. Mm. Like, maybe make him look a bit older, like he is maybe in the comics, because uh, they've got this older version of... Uh, and like the older uh, version of Scarecrow in the Titan show, he's all bearded, and he's got long hair, and he's like he's the scenes with him in like Arkham Asylum in the show, it makes him look a bit uh, very Hannibal Lecter like. And the Arkham games have really shown that he can be a great like lead villain. So I think there's avenues to be explored there. And yeah, we talked about the Riddler's motivation here. He kind of felt justified, like he at least he did, and you can see he does have like a some sad elements to his backstory in this film. So, yeah, having a villain that also feels justified in Mr. Freeze, like he's just doing this for his wife and everything, but he's just been pushed to such like extremes and everything uh, would be an interesting idea. And, yeah, like given that we've got so many, like, we've got another portrayal like that's not as over the top as Jim Carrey's portrayal for the Riddler, maybe we need uh, 
different Mr. Freeze, so that when people think of Mr. Freeze live action, they don't think of Arnie and his like one thousand puns. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, that really was a terrible film, Batman Robin. Fair, fair play. I think I like Batman Forever because there's some elements uh, dark elements that like seeing like Dick Grayson having to see his parents basically just being murdered by Two Face and. Batman giving you another explanation of his backstory was real done, but then they just fully went right on the edge of campiness. Like, they thought that Batman Returns was too far like to the executives in terms of the dark side of it. This one went right the other way. Uh, uh, well, I think George Clooney gets a bit of unfair blame and stick for that as well. I mean, he wasn't helped by um, uh, you know a bad script and awful direction to be honest because he's shown uh, throughout his career that he's uh, a very good incredible actor when you know the the materials good enough yeah like even he even said like the only reason he really took the role is that he was kind of other people kind of convinced him this be a good career move to be in his like major franchise because he for, at that point he was only known for being on tv and shows like er so he was trying mm. to like become like more an except to be like the mainstream actor that we know him as today so obviously he has since like said like well sorry like it wasn't my fault but you know sorry if you hated this film uh, uh, and then, like I think everybody involved kind of laughs about it uh, afterwards but I, I watched a, a video about you know Batman and Robin and apparently uh, there were quite a few scenes that had to shoot Mister Freeze from a different angles so you couldn't see he was a stuntman because uh, they only had a limited amount of time to have Arnie on on set and most of that was taken up by getting him in and out of the makeup. God. So yeah, I think it was bad already. Then, uh, and you got this. And apparently, I've heard rumors of the the planned sequel to Batman and Robin. If it ever if it was successful, which it wasn't, where the Scarecrow would have been the main villain, and they wanted apparently Nicolas Cage to play the Scarecrow. <laughs> that actually would have been awesome. They should have just made it. God damn it, we we missed out. I'm talking about that Batman and Robin. Um, Poison Ivy would be another good one to try and redo it at some point as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Reeves also mentioned people at the Court of Owls who are brought into the newer, uh, newer additions to Batman's kind of like villains group, but I really like them. They kind of fit into the whole corruption aspect of it. He also mentions Calendar Man, who's a very, who's also like a serial killer character, but I think if they brought him in quite soon, he has to only really accurately portray which kind of how they portrayed the Red Lord movie. Yeah, um, could be. Um, the Mad Hatter would be another fun one because I kind of <laughs> remember a little skit you get from um, one of the games. Wow, yeah. I thought, yeah, actually, he could be quite a good, quite a good villain, and I think he's quite decent in um, the Gotham series as well. One of the few highlights because I struggled with that. I tried to, you know, I like Batman and all that, and I tried to try to give it a fair, a fair crack, and I'd. Sort of watch a few episodes and think, nah, I don't like it, and then get drawn back into it for a little bit and then lose interest again. So, you know, it, it sort of had its moments, Gotham, but it wasn't wasn't always great, um, unfortunately. There's also one, is that one that sort of, I forget the, the villain's name, but he sort of, um, I think he like gets plastic surgery or something to make him look like Bruce Wayne, doesn't he? Oh, uh, uh, hush. Push, and that's got a really good sort of comic book and storyline. So that would be quite a cool one to to do at some point. 
Yeah, like because he was like maybe childhood friends with Bruce Wayne and everything, and uh, yeah, I think that's the storyline they could do. Like it, the show hush and like the Arkham games because they gave mm. like, the him in Arkham Knight and they apparently tease him the other like in sit in Arkham City, and then I, I watched my brother playing it and like the bit with Hush, the conversation you take him out like far too easily for such a major character. Like, oh, well, that was a waste. <laughs> Well, okay, okay. See, it was like Firefly, but apparently he's the villain of a uh, background with uh, Brad and Fraser playing him. Oh right, <laughs> which uh, interesting. I'm, I'm really interested to see how that goes because I feel bad that Brad and Fraser did suddenly stopped getting a lot of work at one point, and then he's kind of like slowly making a yeah, come making a comeback right now. Like he's in that DC show Doom Patrol, which I've been watching, where he pretty much plays a robot, so you don't see it. Him, but he's quite funny in that. Not something, yeah, something I'm not bothered watching Doom Patrol. I don't know. Is it? Is it good? Is it? it it's kind of so. It's his own weird, like separate thing. But yeah, uh, it's, it's pretty funny. I've only seen some of the first season, but it seems quite. Uh, they basically they don't hide the fact that it's quite silly. So it's, it's a bit of a watch. I got the first two seasons as a Christmas present. Uh, so I've been making my way through the first season. It's got uh, uh, Timothy Dalton in it as well. Oh, and, right. uh, Alan is in it as well. well. It's got some good names in it, man. Fair play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Alan Tudyk's uh, playing like the villain in that, but yeah, it's mostly kind of obscure character, but Cyborg's in it as well. He's one of the main guys. Fair play. Uh, yeah, we're getting sidetracked. <laughs> yeah, but we are, yeah, we there's, are. <laughs> there's plenty of characters in Batman's kind of like Rogue's Gallery that they could bring into the sequels, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm okay with them not rushing into bringing this new version of Joker because uh, you think of the last few years we had Ledger, then Leto, then uh, Phoenix, Leto again, the Suicides, and then, oh, this is uh, what, uh, the Snyder Cut, and then this, again, like, I know it wouldn't make sense timeline-wise given the world is there, but fuck it, just don't try and explain it, can I? Just give us Joaquin Phoenix and let him do it. Like, I know people will say timeline-wise it doesn't make any sense, but if you give us a good enough film with those uh, him versus Robert Pattinson, people will forgive you. Yeah, you know, perhaps the time travels with Doctor Who or something. You know, could could be anything. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know you said you want to keep it grounded, but on, just give us this one time travel scene, just so we can have this good version of the Joker <laughs> in here. And you don't have to start again with another one because you know we've almost at this point had more Jokers than we've had Batman at this point. Exactly, <laughs> it's getting getting out of hand. And they know a character is going to make you money. They they can't help themselves, can they? That's that's the trouble. I know. Like they think, oh, we got Batman here. We need the Joker involved. Like we don't technically need him yet, though. We're not in any rush. Please give us something different. Uh, but yeah, I think that's all we can really say. Given the fact that we started talking about fucking Doom Patrol at one point, I think we've said everything we can about the Batman. I think it's fair to say we both enjoyed it. Other than the fact it's a bit long, yeah, I'd think I'd probably give it. Uh, if I was going to rate it, it, I'd either give it eight and a half or nine out of ten. It's not quite ten out of ten, but it's not far off. I think it may be one of those films that I give a higher rank rating to if I watch it back a few times and notice things that you know you didn't notice the first thing. It's one mm. of the best things about watching certain films like this. I'd say eight and a half is a. Uh, the strong rating for it, and I'd I'd give it an eight and a half, I think, because yeah, the, the I'm still pissed off. I needed to pee during that scene with all the running water, 
Yeah. And everything. That, loses, everything loses, half a, loses, loses half a star because it nearly made our bladders burst. <laughs> yeah. My, we nearly, the sea walls burst and our bladders nearly did awesome. <laughs> 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 also, I know like Gotham's always been like, uh, and I love the way uh, Gotham was looking like have all grimy and everything and like the whole trying to rebuild and everything. But and I know like Gotham's almost always had like a connection to like New York and everything, how like, they try to design it. But they took it a step too far with Gotham Square Garden. <laughs> a small nitpick, but Jesus Christ, lads. <laughs> yeah, I think as a first out in an eight and a half is a strong like rating. It's got like high ratings online on like Rotten Tomatoes. It's like I think both the Craig score and the the Craig score and the audience score are both in the high nineties or like I think eighty six I just looked up there, eighty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. From critic eighty eight percent bodies, so uh fair to say people are they may have been hit uh like to win but Robert Pattinson it was first announced, but uh fair to say a lot of people enjoy his first outing. Yeah, well I've heard um to give actors the benefit of the doubt because I must admit I was one of the people who wasn't sure when uh, Heath Ledger was cast as Joker way way, way back when now. And he, and he was excellent, so I've learned to uh, you know withhold judgment until you actually see the the performance because you know that's what they are they're actors you know so and uh, they're there to portray different characters and some of them can do it and then there's others that like Sean Connery basically play Sean Connery every film <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah oh look it's Sean Connery as a as a Russian. The most Scottish sound in Russian you've ever seen. <laughs> or Don uh, Gordon and the Untouchables being an uh, Irishman via Scot- Scotland. Yeah, and a, a Scottish Egyptian who's a Spaniard in uh, Highlander. <laughs> but the bit in, uh, in like, the thing with the Untouchables, I'm maybe be Irish, but sound Scottish. It reminds me of this scene from like, the Scottish show Still Game where they go into an Irish pub and the guy behind the kit. I was acting all Irish and they go, oh, what part of Ireland are you from? And he drops the accent and starts talking Scottish and goes to Springburn, which <laughs> is a place in Scotland. That's what made me think of when I see him. Uh, oh, Sean Corey, what part of Ireland are you from? Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think, yeah, I think we both agreed on about eight and a half for, for the Batman. Yeah, I would say that's uh, a fair a, a fair rating for uh, for the Batman. Maybe the sequel it'll be in the Tokyo Dome, but it's not there yet. If you want to know what Dexter was trying to tell us, I think he says it's a nine, and he's saying, "How very dare you! I enjoyed the final act. I love the water. <laughs> I know you did, Dexter." <laughs> <laughs> Bloody ducks, <laughs> but. Uh, if you enjoyed us going through, you know, a very long superhero film with a lot of things to pick at, and you're going to enjoy our next episode because uh, we're going to do it all over again. This time, as we already mentioned, we're going to look at Spider-Man No Way Home. It's finally able to purchase on like home viewing uh, platform, so Carl has finally been able to see it, and I'm sure he'll have a lot of thoughts. As do I. I've had a lot of thoughts that I've had to keep inside. Even when I talk about, <laughs> even when we talk about Doctor Strange or things related to Spider-Man that I've wanted to say, I've not been able to say them. But finally, I can spew them all out for your listening pleasure. Yeah, um, we could talk about the post-traumatic 
st- uh, stress disorder it gave me um, from remembering um, um, the Eternals. Oh, yeah. I got some <laughs> updates as Carl was watching the film, by the way, and I look forward to recounting them as well <laughs> as we talk about this. And uh, I know this is, this is going to be much later on, but uh, I don't know when we're going to get this, but I've been wanting to do a Marvel rank- MCU ranking for a long time, but I needed to wait until Carl saw No Way Home before we could do it, because I wanted to do it before before I said I was going to say before anything else comes out and ruins it. Yeah, but the fact that we're also so close to midnight as well helps really is what I'm really quite about. Maybe I'll just keep, maybe not just, maybe not include midnight. Well, given you don't want to review it and everything, so we'll just we'll leave midnight out of it. But at some point soon, before Doctor Strange, we will do a more ranking and include some of the TV shows. Minus midnight. I'm sorry, Oscar Isaac, in your weird English accent. But you'll be pleased to know me and my friends are making plans uh, to see uh, Doctor Strange. So hopefully I'll be a bit more on track with that one as well and you'll have to wait forever for me to watch that like with Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, enough. Uh, I'm hoping to see it, yeah, like either opening day or hopefully the day and the day followed it so I can avoid spoilers as best I can because I remember... That came out, uh, by my Noe Home came out like the 15th, of de- Wednesday the 15th of December. Me and my brother didn't go to the following Friday. So I was, and I was very proud of myself for avoiding spoilers as well. Even I mean, so to, be, so- to be yeah. fair, I, I didn't know all that much um, about it um, before, um, you know, before watching it and it had been a good you know as i say three three months or so the only thing i knew which i pretty knew beforehand uh, just turn off now if you haven't seen it you don't want it spoil um about the other two spider-men being in it i mean that was pretty much the worst kept secret wasn't it so um that was the only thing that sort of you could say it was a spoiler that it being confirmed that they were in it, which wasn't really a, a spoiler, as I say. So I was quite lucky the fact that other things, you know, weren't revealed, but then that did, you know, have effects on my PS, uh, PTSD. So, <laughs> yeah, I think we all knew even before any of us went to the cinema to see it that they, they may would be there because we all know that Andrew Carthy was a filthy liar. He's a liar. <laughs> Andrew, do you not know that lies make the baby Jesus cry? <laughs> I think he was like, I think they were contract, you know, obligation lies. <laughs> uh, yeah, so kind of, uh, so yeah, hopefully we'll have a, an up-to-date and current review of uh, of Doctor Strange when that comes out and not months later. Uh, I don't, I'm not saying we're going to review this particular film, but just so in essence we're talking about cinemas. Uh, Orbeus finally comes out on the 31st of March. Me and my brother are planning on going to see it on April 2nd so we can pass some time during the day before waiting for WrestleMania to start. <laughs> you have to let me know what it's like because, I don't know, I just, I really don't fancy that one. I've, I've got to be honest. It's not as if I'm going to see it because I've got all this anticipation mm. for it. I just want to see it because it's been pushed back because of, like, pandemic and then it was making it January, but I think because of No Way Home success, it got moved back again. It was making it in April, but then no, like, oh, right at the end of March, I'm like, and they've been like up, been like fucking twenty trailers for it at this point. I nearly, I almost feel like I've seen the films. So I'm just out of obligation and just to see how the hell is Michael Keaton able to be in this. <laughs> I just need yeah. that question to be answered, and I'll be happy. 
I mean, I know, I mean, I know Flashpoint's getting a lot of uh, pushbacks and reshoots, but you know, because Michael Keaton is going to be in that, that's making me want to um, to to watch that when it comes out, to be honest. Yeah, me too. So yeah, I just wait. I just feel like I need to see it at this point. Plus, I like the the Venom films, so I'm hoping it's more like along the lines of those films. Even though I'm Jared Leto is not one of my favourites in terms of acting, so we'll see. You. I'll try and give you a pinpoint. You know, not a full pinpoint, but I'll give you a, a, a summary in the next episode we do after that film has come out, and I'll let you know if you should go see it. And much like I did with your I was to warn you how boring it was. At least I say at home and you yeah. know cry over Selma. And, uh, say, you already had you weirdly enough already had tissues with you, but you weren't expecting them to use them for your tears, <laughs> were you? <laughs> well, and, and on that, wrong with you. <laughs> and on that note, I think that's a good time to end it. I know, girl said to me before, I didn't like, you know, filming podcasts go too long, but we've been here for a long time, and as I knew we would be, but Carl, what else have you got going on podcast or me? You don't have to talk to a reprobate like me who makes such horrible jokes. <laughs> um, at the moment, not a lot. There might be, uh, hopefully, a, a tennis pub where me and Nathan will cover um the Indian Wells tournament when that comes to an end this weekend, so may, may hopefully we'll we'll get something out midweek or hopefully by this time uh, next week. I was assuming this pod's released in the next couple of days, um, so keep a look out for that. Uh, you can check out back catalogue stuff with me and Liam talking football, Manchester United and Arsenal mainly uh, don't really want to talk too much about Manchester United at the <laughs> moment and um, yeah, uh, hopefully the Buffy pod will come back at some point as well but you know, you can go back into our back catalogue and look for those and we're on a 495 96 count in this pod so the 500 special is imminent. Oh. So keep your ears and eyes peeled for that. Because forget, forget, forget your Batman franchises and your Twilight and your James Bond, the greatest franchise of all time will return. Fair enough. <laughs> There you go. Uh, yeah, so you can take out the 500 pod coming very soon and the enthusiasm that we definitely bring is very keeping with the Rogue Pains brand. Uh, for me, uh, you can find me on Twitter, it's going to follow brand uh, Rogue Underscore Opinions. Uh, also, uh, for me, Rogue Pains is a bit quiet because uh, other than this, uh, I'm meant to be, like with this Madden pod, being meant to go out for a while, but may have to hold on to to the 500 potentially, but uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago this was recorded. It's the go home for Judgment Day, which and then once that's uh, out there, we cut me, uh, me, Nathan and Sam will all get together and record Judgment Day. Uh, Sam was a bit unwell, so we weren't able to uh, be able to record it yet, but hopefully he's feeling better. Uh, me and Paul, Scumball's Round Podcast, which is under the Rogue Pains Manor as well, so on feet. Uh, we've got a couple of interesting episodes coming out. Uh, very soon we've basically got the right few months planned in terms of what we're going to be doing but we've got 
episode coming out, so where I present Paul this weird idea that I, that I found that I stole from somewhere else, where I try and apply it to create my what I call my perfect Frasier season using pre using episodes that are already out there. So if you want to see how I do that, then feel free to check that out. And then uh, next week we're doing our uh, going back into our season. We look at the In Your House pay per views. We've got In Your House Buried Alive coming up. Uh, and also eat seats to eventually. I'm involved in a bunch of stuff over there. I was on the recent episode of this is our central the news kind of show over there where we talk about all the major goings on that sad passing of Scott Hall and the fact that Pete Dunn's now called fucking Butch for some reason. Great name, great name. It <laughs> is, yeah. <laughs> I know. If you're gonna have gonna do continue to a group of guys a Peaky Blinders like gimmick, at least get somebody who's from Birmingham, that was their thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did a bunch of content uh, with them and then across various different shows that I don't have time to, to list for you. So, yeah, I may be a bit quiet, Rugged Pains, but hopefully that'll change soon after our 500 pod comes out. And you can tell that we definitely, definitely put our all into it. And yeah, and uh, that's pretty much it. We're going to let you go because just like podding, holding your piss ain't easy. <laughs> <laughs>